have another chance if you didn't get a chance to share yours. Um, Mark chapter 6 tonight. Mark chapter 6. And we're dealing with um, the subject of unbelief, but not unsaved unbelief. We're talking about Christian unbelief. In fact, I find it's very significant, kind of strange almost, that a lot of the scriptures, probably more most scriptures that deal with unbelief, lack of faith, fear, are written concerning believers. All right, so just because we're saved doesn't mean that we lose the ability um, to be doubting and unbelieving. So we're going to spend some, some time um, here tonight, uh, Mark chapter 6, and we'll pick it up in verse 30. Read down through verse 32, and then we'll pray, and then get into the message for tonight. And uh, it says this, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus, and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time we can look into thy word tonight. And please continue to teach us. I'm very thankful for the comments I got about this morning's message and how it meant a lot to several people. I thank thee for that, dear Lord. I thank thee for the Holy Spirit's working and pray that that would continue. So do the same tonight. I pray, dear Lord, help us, strengthen us, encourage us in the faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you often hear the expression, in a perfect world, and then they say something less than perfect. Well, in the ideal life of the Christian, it would be one of steady progress in the faith. The hymn writer expressed it like this, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. That certainly is a good objective and even a proper prayer. 1 Corinthians 15.57 exhorts us to be always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. However, the reality is that we all face and experience ups and downs in our life. And so rather than our Christian walk and our Christian life being like a steady plane, upward it's kind of like this. It seems like it's more, oftentimes it's like a roller coaster. And sometimes we end up in a valley, can't seem to get out of it. God doesn't expect us to stay down there. Peter expressed that for, if it need be for a season, we're in heaviness. We're not supposed to stay there. And so anyway, um, I'm convinced that the Lord allows these things to teach us to better trust in him and in his written word, which is our greatest resource and strength. Um, we don't have, at least not yet, we don't face much pressure from the outside. And so I, I know the Lord allows us to have times in our life, inner turmoils and things like that, and they're supposed to draw us closer to him. The Word of God is our greatest resource, and it is our strength, and we are to walk in it. Um, just by way of introduction, and just remind us of the importance of the Word of God, let's go back to Psalm 119, 
quite a few verses here. Maybe make a few comments. Not many. As a reminder of the greatness and the importance. And also, it's interesting that a lot of Psalm 119 is written in the form of prayers or in, in the form of determination. Um, in the form of vows, if you will, as the psalmist, and some, some believe it was David, even though it's not signed. Um, others believe it may have been Ezra, the ready scribe. But at any rate, it certainly sounds Davidic in language. But anyway, some scriptures from Psalm 119 and verse 9, starting there. Wherewithal, or by what means, shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? So in this verse, we see the cleansing power of the word of God. And Lord willing, somewhere down the line, um, we're going to have messages on addictions, all right? Because there's a lot of problem with that in our world today. All right, skip to verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. By the way, hiding God's word in the heart is, is more than just memorizing a few verses. All right, it's the idea that our, that our heart and mind is saturated with the word of God. So that we're always thinking about it, always relying on it, always going to it. Anyway, all right, verse 24. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Word testimony there simply means what, what God says about any subject. And here the psalmist said, that's my, test, that's my counselor. When I need counsel, when I need advice, I go to the word of God. I take the word of God as my counsel and, and he take heed to it. Verse 89. Er, um, Forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. That means it's established, it's fixed, or stands firm, doesn't change. It's the same. Um, verse 105. <clears throat> Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Verse 128. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. We're living in a day of so much confusion and so much pluralism is the word that our society loves to use, intolerance and all that sort of thing. But no, the Bible says there's right ways and there are wrong ways. All right, verse 130. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Verse 133. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Order my steps in thy word. That is the idea of directing. Um, the hymn writer put it this way. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. All right? And so, trust and obey. Um, there's no substitute for the word of God. All right, so let's go. Um, our great, one great principle is that our Lord was, all, was always trying to instill in the hearts and minds of his disciples and us to trust and to study, to learn, and live by his precious word. 
again, as the hymn writer put it, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's go to Mark 6. We'll go back there. And we're going to take a look at three things tonight. Um, Number one, Christ's care for his disciples. I think that there needs to be more of an emphasis on what the Lord Jesus said here to his disciples. And we find here in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus cared for his disciples. It's the passage that we that I read to, to begin the message. All right, let's take a look. Um, first of all, there's a report on the work. Jesus had just sent the disciples out, really their first opportunity um, to do service for him. And so they came back, they reported. And so at that point, verse chapter Mark 6, verse 30, and the, the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. All right, let's t- turn over to Luke 10 for just a minute. A little more detailed report and response is given here in Luke chapter 10. Um, at the beginning of Luke 10, the 70 others were sent out two by two to go out and do the work of the Lord. So they came back and they reported this, starting in verse 17. All right, Luke 10, 17, and, and the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In other words, rejoice more in our relationship what we have in Christ, what he's done for us, rather than what we've done, what we do for him. It's important to serve him, uh, but it's also important that we realize the greatest thing is that that our relationship with the Lord. In fact, back in Mark chapter 3, when one of the lists of Jesus' disciples, it says that he he appointed 12, that they might be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach. And so the priority there, the number one thing, is fellowship with the Lord. All right, so um, back in Mark 6, <clears throat> so they reported on the work, and then they had, then they had, they, they rested from the work. All right, let's look at verse 31. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat, and they departed into a desert place by ship privately. So, come apart. It's two words in the original language, and the first word, come, is the idea of come with me, Jesus is saying, and come apart, in other words, get away from everything and everybody else. And somebody said, if we don't come apart, we will fall apart, right? And the devil tries to make us think that, oh, I have no time to rest. I have to do this, 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 and then this, 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 this. And no time to rest, no time, you know. And I know people, I know Christian people who resent it when other Christians take vacation. I never take a vacation, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and that's, that's just not, that's just wrong. 
I read a devotion one time about a lady in church who complained because the pastor was going to take some time off. And she said, the devil never takes any time off. And he said, yeah, and if I didn't take time off, I'd be just like him. So we have, I have a, the greatest authority I could ever go to, Jesus Christ himself, who said, come apart and rest, right? We need rest. And, um, and it says, so, the, um, no leisure means, by the way, no time. Here it says, didn't even have time to eat. And Jesus knew that's a dangerous path to go on. That's a dangerous precedent to set. And so he arranged for time for them apart. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And again, that means by themselves. Desert place is the idea of a, de a desolate place, a wilderness, a place away from everybody. The word desert here, really, it doesn't mean a place of sand, but it means a deserted place where nobody else was, right? Um, it's great, it's good to be alone. And I, in a, in a sense, we can do that every day. And I like to do that in the evening, take my Bible, take a book, and just go in the, the end room and just get apart there and just sit there and uh, just talk to the Lord and, and have the Lord uh, talk to me through his word. And I hope you do that. I hope you take the Bible and read it every day. Because if you, if you don't, you're stunting your growth. You're actually sinning against God if you don't read the Bible, right? I think you know that. God tells us we are to read his word. Blessings are upon those who meditate in God's word day and night. Now let's go back to Psalm 127. Here is a principle that God has put in his word. Um, I want us to look at it. It's a wonderful principle. It's a good reminder uh, because or even though we are saved, we are not super men and women. Um, we still have basic needs. Um, I think it's interesting that one of the first things it says about Paul or Saul after he was saved, it said he, he was he had he had meat, he had food, and he was strengthened. All right. And so here's what the Bible says. Good, very important principle. Psalm 127, verse one says, "Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it." That's not talking so much about the structure that you live in, but the life that you live, the household. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. And then verse two: It is vain for you. So vain there means useless, futile counterproductive, self-defeating, for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. All right? So that's a promise. I mean, that's, that's instructive, but it's also a promise. If you have trouble sleeping at night, um, maybe you should just ask the Lord. God, you said right here in your word that you give your beloved sleep. I'm saved. I'm one of your people. I need to rest. Help me sleep. But another thing along that line, if you wake up in the middle of the night, have a hard time going back to sleep, pray. Spend the time in prayer. Um, I actually look forward to those times. Again, no night. Nobody's around. Um, you know, I can wake up and I just, okay, Lord, lay somebody on my heart. 
that I should be praying for. And there's always there's always uh, names that come to mind. All right. So, but you cannot. We cannot violate one principle of God's word in order to fulfill another. Right. And so, good lesson. Take time to rest. Get away. Get away from everything once in a while. Um, so his care for his disciples, he, he established that principle. By the way, um, the Sabbath in the Bible, if you go back and read about that, it mentions about resting and being refreshed. All right? That was the purpose. God said that's the purpose for the Sabbath. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Pharisees had turned the Sabbath day into a burden. You, you have to do this, 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 and this. You can't do this, this, and this. You can't even go take this many steps. You can't do this. You can't do that. And, of course, they added to the Word of God. And Jesus said, Jesus said oh, no, no, no. That's, that's the wrong view of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant for man's benefit. So he might rest, and so everything could rest. You know, servants and animals, strangers, everybody, rest on the Lord's day. By the way, the, the Sabbath does not mean seven. It means rest, right? And so um, there's a principle in God's word. Um, Jesus said, do all your work and labor in six days and rest. Take a rest. All right, God never intended for people to work seven days a week. That's why we're, it's one of the reasons that we have a lot of the problems that we have in this country. All right, then of course you got the people on the other side that all they do is rest. That's a whole other subject. We maybe we'll deal with that one of these days, <clears throat> as the Lord leads us. So God's the treatment, God, the Lord's treatment of His people, of His own, for us, rest. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we ought not to be careless of how we treat our body, uh, pushing ourselves beyond limit, um, all those kinds of things. Um, maybe we're, we might take some more time to look at more of these things in the, head, in the days ahead. All right, number two, the, um, back in Mark 6, Christ's compassion for the multitudes. Christ's compassion for the multitudes. Um, starting in verse 33, we're going to just work our way um, through much of this chapter. Um, his compassion. This is not the only time, obviously, where the Bible says this. But notice it says, notice the multitude in verse 33. And the people saw them departing. They saw them leave to get away. And many knew him. They recognized him and ran afoot thither out of all cities and outwent and outwent them and came together unto him. So they you know, they saw Jesus heading out with his disciples and they ran after him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And so the Bible says they're moved with compassion. That's about, there's about five or six times where that statement is used of Jesus. Moved with compassion. It means to yearn with compassion, to take pity, to be distressed over the condition of others, to be gut-wrenched. See, I do there. A yearning, an inner yearning. And that phrase assumes that the one moved with compassion, will take the necessary action to relieve the situation, to meet needs, in other words. 
I noticed what it was that that moved him with compassion, it says, because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And so he knew that their greatest need was spiritual. And so he began to teach them the word of God, which will fill that void. One of my favorite verses of all is um, Psalm 107 and verse 9, which says, He satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. And that's talking about spiritually, how God meets our needs and how he blesses us and how he satisfies us, all right? And um, that's what God's word does. Um, that's what, it, that's what's it, what it's intended to do. And then, of course, he fed them also. And um, starting there at verse, go to verse 35, and when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said to them, Give ye them to eat. In other words, you feed them. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? So they calculated it would take over a year, half a year's wages to give them something to eat. He saith unto them, um, how many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies, in other words, in groups, upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. In other words, they got all that they wanted. <clears throat> and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. Now the same event is recorded in Matthew 14, and it says, And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. So if you assume that each man had a wife, that's 10,000, and each family had two kids, which is probably a low estimate, uh, Jesus probably fed 20,000 or more people with five loaves and two fish. I had an opportunity to preach on this one time in Michigan at a Dace Christian School Chapel, and I said, how was Jesus able to do that? And one little boy said, he broke them in really small pieces. <laughs> I said, yeah, he sure would have. It wasn't, it wasn't five, you know, muskies or whatever, you know, but, but he multiplied them, all right, and he met the need. So then we want to look at Christ's control over the elements, right, in Mark 6. Now, and straightway, verse 45, notice the prayer of Christ. It doesn't say give words, but it says he went to pray. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. Now, what he's telling them is, go across the Sea of Galilee, go to Bethsaida. That's going to be our next ministry stop. I mean, Jesus was on his circuit going all over Israel, teaching and working, and so he did that. He sent them away. He departed into a mountain to pray. Okay, so he went up to spend time in prayer, 
And when evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. So the Lord Jesus Christ is there. He's spending time in prayer. Okay? So again, there's an example for us. The Lord cherished, and he knew that it was necessary for him to pray to his Father. He needed the guidance of God on earth as a man. He just didn't get it automatically. Um, He had to read the scriptures. He had to pray. Um, He had to follow his Father's direction. Um, He had to go into the synagogue and into the temple. Um, He had to spend time assembled together. I mean, he he set the example in all these things. So we have the prayer of Christ, and secondly, we have the peril on the sea. And, and he saw them toiling and rowing. So where, where he was, he's there praying. He can see what's going on. It's, it's, it's almost dark, but he could see them out there. For the wind was contrary unto them. Um, the wind was against them, and it was getting stronger and stronger. And... Um, about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. In other words, he would have kept right on going. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and they cried out. They yelled out. All right, They thought it was a spirit, or in other words, a ghost. An apparition. For they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the, the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered. All right, so, the peril on the sea, again, these were experienced sailors and fishermen, but this was n- no unusual storm. This is a big one. Um, and so, He showed his power over the sea by walking on the water. So he defied gravity and everything. He walked on the water, and then he showed his power over the storm um, by just calming the sea, calming the storm. And let's go, I want us to turn, please, to um, Matthew 14. There's some details there. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, and we'll pick it up in verse 26. Matthew 14 and verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. They figured it wasn't a good spirit, by the way. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Now, it is I is another form of I am. So Jesus is saying, it's me, I am. Be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Right? And so everything is fine, everything's great. But when he saw the wind boisterous, He was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, and said unto him, O thou of low faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? All right. Peter was a believer, but he's telling him that his problem is he had little faith. 
And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And then, you know, there's other accounts. You know, the one where uh, Jesus was in the bottom of the ship sleeping, um, and a storm came up, and they said, Wait, you know, Master, we perish, we perish. And he said, You know, how, how is it that you have no faith? And see, he said, No trust in the Lord. So Peter said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come to thee on the water. Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the ship, and he walked out to Jesus. Now, yes, he began to sink. He got his eyes off the Lord and onto the circumstances, and, and he began to sink, but at least he went out. At least he ventured out. And so, some thoughts here. Um, back to Mark 6. So we're going to finish up there. Um, and I don't know what it, what it is for you. Um, but like Peter, we must venture out at Christ's command. Again, I don't know what that is for you. Um, even if we start to sink, um, Jesus will rescue us too, by the way, even if we lack faith. Um, you know, uh, Jesus did not wait until his disciples were perfectly trained before he sent them out. He sent them out. And he knew that they would fail. He knew that they'd make mistakes. He knew that they would say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing. Or not be able to do anything. Like like it was, you know, when we talked about when they came off the mountain and there was the man and they, they, they couldn't heal the, his son. That was last Sunday night. You know, the Lord knew that was going to happen, but he still sent him out. And uh, so we, are, we must not demand perfection, right? Um, we need to let people, and I would love the opportunity for some younger folks, you know, start giving them some opportunities, and, and even if they even if they fail, right? But uh, Jesus will rescue us. But again, I don't know what, what it is for you, what it, what, it, what it means for you to step out of the boat. But we need to do that. Um, now let's go back to Mark 6, chapter 6, and we want to look at one more verse. Notice what happened here, what, what the comment is. Start, we'll go back to verse 51. And he went up unto them, into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed at themselves beyond measure and wondered. Another other account says that there was a great calm. Immediately the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And they were amazed in them, they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Now here's verse 52. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. So I want you to notice, think about the condition of their hearts. They had just seen two great miracles. Um, they had seen Jesus multiply thousands of times over a little lo a little lunch. And in, I believe it's in the book of John where it's, it's a little boy's lunch that Andrew found. Right? And he had just multiplied that thousands of times. Um, they had just seen him walk on the water. And they had just seen you know, the storm absolutely calm. Um, they had seen him rescue Peter from the waves. But somehow it didn't have an effect. It says their heart 
was hardened. They considered not. They didn't even think about the what Jesus had just done, feeding that great multitude and his great power. And they probably just admitted that circumstances went against them. They forgot everything. Um, the word hardened here is a, comes from the Greek word poruo, meaning hardened, made dull, deadened, or petrified. You ever see petrified wood? I remember our teacher brought us up to school one time, probably 6th or 7th grade, and I just really thought that was the coolest thing. But that's not a good way for our heart to be. Christians, that's a very dangerous place for a Christian to be. You know, set in your ways is not of God. Beloved, petrified. I think the next time I hear somebody say, I'm set in my ways, I think I'm going to say, I'm sorry that you're petrified. (laughs) That you've become petrified. God doesn't want us to be that way. You know, God wants us to be sensitive. God wants us to be flexible, moldable, pliable, uh, willing to do something that maybe we've never done before, some, some kind of service for him, or to just launch out, step out. Why were they hardened? Isn't that a, that's a good question, isn't it? Why were they hardened? Somehow, according to our text, they had forgotten the great work Jesus did in multiplying the bread and the fish. They had gotten so caught up in the present circumstances, the storm, they forgot the past supply. As we sometimes do, they allowed circumstances to rule their hearts and minds. That is never right. We need to be aware of this and ask God every day to keep our hearts tender and moldable, pliable in his hands. We are, he is the master, he's the potter, and we're the clay. Right. Never, we always need to, and by the way, that's one of the reasons that in the Old Testament, God had them set up pillars and memorials as reminders of what he had done. And we, ne- we, we, we should never fall into that trap of, of the modern day thinking, what have you done for me lately? That, that's, a, that's an awful saying. Um, but besides that, God does great things for us every single day. So the lesson for tonight is, we need to be soft. We need to be sensitive. We need to be tender toward the Lord. All right? Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of thine heart. And one of the meanings of that word delight is to be soft, is to be moldable. And because the idea there is God will give us our desire because our desires will be his desires. His desires will be our desires. All right? So, May the Lord help us and, and not to get caught up uh, in circumstances. When some, I haven't heard it in a while, but sometimes I'll ask somebody how they are, and they'll say, well, pretty good under the circumstances. And I always say, you shouldn't be, that's not a good place to be. Never. Circumstances should never, ever dictate to the Christian. Right? It should be what God has for us. All right. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we can have in my word this night. And bless the word of God to our hearts, to our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, hymn number 269. 269. Let's stand, please. And we'll sing this hymn in closing tonight. I wonder, I wonder when the battery is going to give out. I'm just going to change the battery.
Father, thank you so that we have the place of refuge, that we can take shelter under thy wings. And we do pray, even tonight, for thy protection as we travel to our homes. And I pray for Jan and me as we head out this evening to go down to Dana's place. Just give us safety, clear the way, and watch over us. And we just pray that you help us to be a real encouragement to them. And just uh, we thank you for the day and for all the blessings of today. And just for the privilege of opening the Word of God and being taught by it, by the Spirit of God. And we thank you for all these things. We thank you for uh, progress that we're seeing in people's lives. We thank you that Diane continues to come out in the mornings. And we're thankful for the way that, that you're helping her progress um, spiritually and get victory in some areas of her life. We're just thankful for that. And for others, Lord, again, for those who commented on the message of helped them this morning. And we're thankful, Lord, for that. That's what ministry is all about, helping folks, helping people, helping them grow, and helping those that are not saved to come into Christ. And so, Lord, please be with us. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.